Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Alive Church, Orange County. To find out more information about Alive Church, please visit alivechurchoc.org. You can also follow us on your favorite social media platform by typing in Alive Church OC. Good morning, Alive Church. It's so good to be in the house today. Let me get organized here for just a minute, which is going to come into play when we give our message this morning. I hope that you're ready. I want to acknowledge our pastors. You know, they're off out there. It looks like they're having a great grand old time. And it's much needed rest that they need. And so they're doing the work of the Lord as they've been called to do things in our lives, the things for the church, the things for God. But it is important that they take time to get rest and to get rested. And I know that in this time that they are also preparing for the next season that's to come. There are messages being downloaded to them. So let's just right now, let's just put our hands together and thank Pastor Susan, Pastor Derek for all that they do for the kingdom. Amen. God, I just thank you for today, God. I welcome you into this place, Holy Spirit. We say, have your way. Lord, I thank you for the word that's to come. I pray that their ears would be open of your people, that they wouldn't hear somebody up here just talking, that they would hear the word of the Lord come through, God, that it would change their lives forever. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen, amen, amen. So when I was asked to preach, I was like, God, what am I going to talk about? What do you want me to tell your people? And you know, we don't take it lightly when we come up here and we're asked to preach and to come up here to share the word because we don't want to be complacent. We really want to tap into God and what he's saying. And as he's working through us, so we've been pressing and asking God, like, God, what do you want me to tell your people? I try to use an excuse like, God, can you just give me a heads up or something? And of course, like God, like he always is, he's answered. He's like, I already did. You see, God reminded me back in July when we had the, the last Eve's conference, and Amanda, Paul, was actually preaching, and God gave me a word during that time, and the word was order, order. And at the time, I was like, what am I going to do with this? I'm in order. I got everything in order. <laughs> what do you want me to do with this, God? And so as, as he gave me this word, if I were to take this word and I were to share it or to use it or to continue to talk about it, I prayed about it. But if I would have tried to deliver it at any other time, it would have been out of order. There would, there would have been wrong timing. So I believe that the word order is for today, that some of us need to hear order and we need to have structure in our lives. Any bakers in the house? Anybody that cooks? Yeah. Right? Timing's everything. There's an order to every recipe that there is that you need to follow, and there's a reason for it. Because if you don't put certain ingredients in there, it's definitely not going to taste the same. How many of you like things to be in order and things to be on time? And that's what I want to talk about uh, with you today. The title of my message is Called to Order. Called to Order. You know, Pastor Susan, a couple of weeks ago, gave a great message on fit to be king. And in the court, in the kingdom, there's order, right? So there's a duke, the king, the duke, um, there's knights, there's esquires, there's follows all the way down. So when orders are passed and there's, there's attention to those orders, they come all the way down to the lowest echelon so we understand what's exactly going on and what's to happen. And that's the same thing that, that happens in our lives, in our job. You might have a CEO, right? The big man, the one at the top, or woman, 
right, that gives the orders and helps us all the way down to the CEO, to the CFO, to the COO. There's a lot of C's and a lot of O's. I don't know what they mean, but I do know that there's a hierarchy and there's an order in business, right? All the way down to your supervisor to the lowest level. And what really stuck with me was when Pastor Susan discussed the willingness to govern. It was her seventh point she spoke about. And it's important that we have order and that we know how to govern in our lives. And we talked about, she talked about in ourselves that we need to govern ourselves. If we can't govern ourselves, how are we going to help anybody else? How about governing our finances? If you can't be good stewards of what God gave you, the finances, the income that you have, what are you doing with it? Our family. She talked about governing their spiritual gifts, the spiritual family that we have here. You have to have order in order to govern. And Pastor Amwin last week uh, preached a wonderful word on courage to obey. Courage to obey. She said, courage is in your DNA. God will give it to you when you need it. Order is the same. It's in your DNA. And you can't have order without courage. Because it takes courage to step up for when things are wrong or things are out of place. It takes courage to step out and say, no, 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 that's not right. It takes courage to bring things back into order and into alignment. You were created because of order. You were created in order. And you were created to have order. Amen? Amen. So what is order? If we look at the definition of it, it's agreement or disposition of people or things in relation to each other according to a particular sequence, pattern, or method. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's a pattern, right? All right, you guys didn't want to come to church to listen to me sing the ABCs, but there's an order and there's a pattern and there's a reason that we have the ABCs. Am I right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, I might be dating myself a little bit. I think it was an old show years ago that was on PBS that taught us how to count. But my point is, there's an order, right? Orders can also be in a command, right? So if I tell Grant, take out the trash, like I'm commanding him, that's an order for him to take out the trash. Or direction. Order could be a direction, Like you see like the construction workers that are out there on the roads and they're guiding folks or whatever. It's for their safety, right? To put them in the right position in the right place. Order can also be an instruction. Who likes to build Legos or built Legos before, right? You follow the instructions so you can get this nice little toy or whatever you like to build. Those of you that throw the instructions away, I won't name any names in the room. But then you wonder why that you have those little Lego pieces left over and you stepple them and they hurt your feet. Because you didn't follow the instructions. To be a good leader, a good husband, a good wife, a good father, a good mother, a good friend, a good coworker, you fill in the blank. You must understand order. You've got to be a good follower of them. And I also believe that you need to be able to give orders. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all meetings of God's holy people. God loves order. And we see this progressive build throughout the Bible. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about it. There's generational lineage that's happened in the Bible for a reason. It starts with Abraham. It's carried on to Isaac and on to Jacob. 
God's promise was established through Abraham, right? Abraham dared to believe in what God said. So what happened is because Abraham believed, he set that order into motion. He was to be the father of many nations, which means that it wasn't going to stop with him. It was going to be carried on. Isaac was the bridge to the promise. If you think about it, Jesus and Isaac are somewhat the same. Because Jesus is the bridge for us to have a relationship to God. So Isaac was the bridge to the promise. The miraculous birth. I mean, come on. Abraham they and Sarah, they were 100 years old. So he connected the promise made to Abraham to the birth of the nation of Israel. And then we have Jacob. And Jacob represents the building of God's promise. And he did this through his sons, which led the building and establishing of the nation of Israel. If we look at the prophecies of Jesus, there was talks about the coming of the Messiah all throughout the Old Testament. There's this progressive build. There was like over 300 prophecies about Jesus coming. And then Jesus, of course, that there was an order. There was a progressive build of what had to happen in his life as he predicted, as the prophecies had come true, that he had to die that he had to be buried so that he could be resurrected again. Amen? God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf so that we can have a right relationship with him. If you think about it, our lives, because we're descendants and we have a relationship, are just like that, that we have this progressive order. So we're born and we're young children and we're learning how to crawl and how to walk, how to talk and our ABCs and our one, two, threes. And then we go off to school and we're in kindergarten and we start to learn year after year. We're learning something and you get to this weird age. You're not in elementary anymore. You're not quite a teenager. I guess you're a tween is what they say, right? You become a teenager. You get into high school. You learn how to drive. You end up going to college. Uh, you get a job. And then when you're 25, your entrance goes down. Hallelujah. <laughs> but you see that there's a progressive build throughout our lives. There's order to it. And there's a rhyme and a reason for it. It's for our safety. It's for our nourishment. It's for our relationship so that we can continue to grow and build into what God has called us to be. It's to establish the kingdom. Thank God Jesus submitted to God's authority or we wouldn't be alive today. We would have a severed relationship with God and there would be no covenant. Luke 22, verse 42 to 44. It says, Father... If you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. God wasn't willing to relieve Jesus of his assignment. That was not his plan. That was not God's plan. He created everything for our good. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't lie. Jesus had to go to the cross, plain and simple. And I think it's interesting that Jesus asked if there was another way. He asked if there was another way. You ever do that? God asks you to do something. You're like, oh, God, please, is there another way? I did that when they asked me to give the offering message, to give the intro message, to preach today. God, please, is there another way? 
You know, you used to tell your mom and dad the same thing when they ask you to do chores, when they ask you to do your homework, and they say, go to bed. You're like, please. But Jesus knew there was no other way. He understood order, and he followed God's task. And nobody outside of God knew the significance of this act. Nobody. They didn't know what was going to happen. And just like you and me, you never know what one word can do for someone. One invitation. One meal. One coffee. One minute of your time. You never know what that can do for somebody's life. So when God gives you an order and says, hey, I need you to pray for that man. I need you to pray for that woman. Today, I need you to put another zero and give $1,000 instead of 100 When God asks us to do things, instead of saying, oh, do I have to? You got to do it. Amen. Amen. We follow God because we trust him and we know the outcome. And because Jesus obeyed, remember he said, let your will be done. Because he followed God's ordained plan, we're free. And aren't you glad Jesus obeyed? I mean, aren't you glad? Come on, let's give the Lord a shout if you're glad that Jesus obeyed. Because we wouldn't be here if he didn't. Hallelujah. So let's get to the meat and potatoes here. As we look into Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But in verse 20, it says, but... Everybody say, but. but. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Yeah. Since you have heard about Jesus and have heard the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, just like a coat, put on your new nature Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This is the Apostle Paul here that's, that's speaking to us. And he spent about three years or so or even more in the city of Ephesus. And this is who he's talking to is the Ephesians during this time. And so he wrote this portion, though, when he was imprisoned in Rome. Imagine that, that he was thrown in prison. But he's still serving God and doing the call of God on his life. What's your excuse So does Paul have the authority to speak about this? He said, yes, by the authority of God, the Lord, by this authority. But also, if you look at Paul, he's also a submitted man. That he was killing Christians at the time. That he lived a destructive lifestyle. And then one day he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that changed his life forever. In fact, the encounter was so great that when people saw him, They didn't even know who he was. They feared him because they thought that he was the guy killing Christians. He's like, no, 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 no. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's the new me. I bet if you went back to school, 
your old town or where you're from that people wouldn't recognize you. They would remember you from the way that you used to be. How many of you had an encounter with God? Look at all the hands around the room. Hold them up. How many of you have had an encounter with God? That's wonderful and exciting. It's amazing. Thank God that we've all had an encounter. Thank God that he's shifted us. Thank God that he's met us wherever we were and changed our lives forever. And to put into context what Paul was saying, he's saying, don't live like the Gentiles. This word Gentiles refers to anyone other than a Jew, like a believer. So we need to understand that he's talking about living apart or away from God. And what does it look like when you live without God in your life? I'm glad you asked. It's it's full of disorder, dysfunction, and chaos. And if we look back in verses 17 17 to 19, this is what Paul is conveying to us. He's warning us. He's saying, hey, 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 stop living like this. Hopelessly confused, minds full of darkness. Stop having closed minds, hardened hearts, having no sense of shame. Stop living for lustful pleasure. Stop practice and impurity. And if we look back in the Bible, we see a few examples. Remember Judas? Judas was hopelessly confused. I mean, he betrayed Jesus. And ultimately, he committed suicide and ended his life. If we look at Pharaoh who hardened his heart, and what's it mean to have a hardened heart, to stop having kind or friendly feelings or caring for somebody? It ultimately led to his death. And Rahab, practicing impurity, Rahab was a prostitute. However, Rahab, on the other hand, was a little different because she actually turned to God. She actually helped the spies that were sent out to the land and helped Joshua, and God spared her life. If you look at our society today, that's where we are. Lawlessness, direct disobedience to authority, We have border issues going on. Our kids are becoming desensitized to things. They have free access to to all kinds of nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Even in the political arena, the California Senate and Assembly passed two bills that basically stripped the parental rights from their own children. We need order. Who likes games? Like not games on your phone, but like old school, like board games, right? Card games, family games. Anybody ever played Uno? You ever played Uno? All right. Uno, it's an amazing game. It's a family game. Those of you that don't know what Uno is, there's cards with a bunch of numbers. That's why we were counting earlier. All right, you guys will get it in a minute. There's There's a bunch of numbers on it. There's a bunch of colors that are on the cards, right? There's words in there. It tells you instructions of what to do, like skip, reverse. There's draw twos. There's an order to the game, and it tells you exactly what to do in the game. And the name of the game, it's called Uno. I mean, Uno stands for one. So when you have one card left, you're supposed to say Uno. And the object of the game is to actually play out all of your cards. Now, I said that this was a family game. And it's a lot of fun. But those of you that played Uno, it could get quite chaotic. And if you're in my household, you might lose an eye. I don't know. Um, Because we're very competitive. 
and, and we get very intense in the game. And so we played this game for many, many times. And as you follow and you go around, if you forget or if you quit paying attention to the game, if you quit paying attention to the orders and to the instructions that are listed on the card that you're supposed to follow, you quickly become lost. And then that's when chaos starts to occur. Wait a minute, wait a minute, it's my turn, my turn. No, 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 it's my turn, but I played the skip. No, 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 I reversed it. No, it's your turn. Chaos. And let me tell you, that was my life for 36 years before I met the Lord, before somebody obeyed and told me about Jesus and told me about this church before I got saved, you see, I lived a life that was chaotic. I didn't know what direction I was going. I didn't know if I was being skipped, if I needed to reverse, do I need to go forward, do I need to go backwards. My life was upside down. My nights were my days. My days were my nights. I know this sounds all doom and gloom, but sometimes you need to understand what life without order looks like. You need to know what life without God is like. And if we're not careful or paying attention, just like in Uno, we can find ourselves in a difficult position. But God. Everybody say, but God. But God. Oh, I thank you, God, that somebody came in the middle of the desert and told me about a church. I thank God that he met me that day and said, I am going re- to save you. I'm going to change your life forever. I thank God that he saved me. I thank God I'm here today. If you would have known me from before and where I am, I thank God that he met me. And I know that each and every one of you are in the position and the situation and you're here today because somebody told you about God. We all need a but God, and I'm here to tell you that you're a child of God, that you're a son and daughter of God, that you're heirs to his throne, that you're not dysfunctional, that you're not chaotic, that you are blessed and highly favored, you are the head and not the tail, you are above and not beneath. Oh, God has a plan for you. You are called to order. Everyone say, I am called to order. So we pick up in verse 20 when Paul's talking. That's Ephesians 4.20. And again, it says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. This verse really stuck out to me because it represents like it's the shift that happens right here. And it starts with that word, but. And all you English scholars that are in the room, let me see your hands. You all know what that word, but, means, right? It's a conjunction. It's supposed to be a comma conjunction. I don't know. But it's used to contrast ideas that are totally opposite. And just like we talked about all the Ephesians, all the list of issues and all of the things that we were going to, you saw the list, right? Paul throws in this but. Why? Talk about contrast. It's as if he had a gavel in his hand. Y'all know what a gavel is? You saw the picture right there. It's used in court or whatever to get people's attention. It's used to punctuate rulings. It's a symbol of authority. And this sentence right here, what God's saying, what Paul is telling us right here, that isn't what you learned about Christ. It's that's a, he's putting the gavel down. He says, enough is enough. That's it. We don't live like that. I'm putting my foot down. This is wrong. This is not the right behavior. This is not the right order. It's as if he was a judge in the court order in the court. So God gave us the authority to stand up for what's right. And we see Paul right here. Does he have the authority? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so do you. Amen. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 14, 40, it says, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. 
You know, this scripture, we're talking about like it's worship and we're talking about worship and we worship the Lord earlier and we always should worship the Lord, right? And our giving, we worship the Lord in spirit and truth. We should worship the Lord in gladness. It's a declaration that God is in the midst of all things, that he's our source, that we should be thankful for him. It's an expression of your adoration for God. It's an expression for the fear of the Lord. And when I say fear, that doesn't mean like, and I used to think this, I was like, I didn't understand what fear of the Lord was, a fear, like I should be afraid of God. No, fear of the Lord, reverence, that he is holy. And when there's chaos in the church and amongst our lives, it prohibits God from doing his work. John Bevere said, holy fear is the key to God's sure foundation, unlocking the treasures of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Holy fear is the key. What he's saying here is is if you want a solid foundation, God has to be number one in your life. God has to be top of the order. So order, there are three kinds of order. And I put one up here for you. Number one, to put into order or to arrange. And when we arrange things, that means they put them in a neat and attractive way, like laundry. You like to fold up your laundry all nice and neat. It's all arranged nice. When you cook food, as we said earlier, arrange could be the organizer, make plans for a future event, like a wedding. You have the cake, you have the food, you have the invitations, you have the decorations, you have the chairs, you have the tables. That's all got to be arranged and put in some kind of order so that the ceremony can take place. And so we see this back to the Bible in Genesis 1. Talk about things setting in order. Like we talked about the generational lineage earlier, but in Genesis 1, we talked about the days of creation. So the first day, what happened? God said, let there be light. Why? So that there was light and darkness. So you can tell the difference between day and night. On the second day, God created what? You didn't know you were going to get quizzed today, right? (laughs) It's okay to use your phones or whatever to, to look up the answers. On the second day, God created the sky and the water. He used the waters of the heavens or separated the water on the earth. And on the third day, he created the land and the seas so that all the water would, purge, would gather together to create the seas, that the land would be formed together, that you could see the difference between the two, and that there would be vegetation. Why am I going over the days of creation? And on the fourth day, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Why? So that he can govern the day, the night, the seasons, the days, the years. On the fifth day, he created fish and birds to fill water and skies. And on the sixth day, he created animals to fill the earth and all of the land. And he created men and women, you and I, so that we can, be, so that we can govern over everything, be fruitful and multiply, and commune with God. And on the seventh day, God rested and declared that everything is very good. So why is the creation, why is the order of creation important? Well, one, God's saying it. It's in the Bible. It must be important. Must be a reason for it, right? And 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that all scripture is God-breathed. 
All scripture is God-breathed because he said it, so it's God-breathed, and it's useful in teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. And every good work can be what? Managing our finances, perhaps, right? That we could be equipped in that area, that God might be teaching us in that area. How about managing our time? What are you doing with your time? How about managing our friendships? You never know what one person, one friend can do for you, what word of encouragement they can tell you. If we don't understand our priorities, we can get out of alignment. Just like your car. Anybody ever have a car get out of alignment or need alignment? Like you're driving and you think you're going straight, but your car is going this way. It pulls one side. And when your car is out of alignment over time, your wheels begin to wear down. Your car might begin to shake, to move. And what happens is maybe the steering and all the components that are on the front end might start to break down. Even the rear end, too, start to break down. So when your car is out of alignment, things start to break down. They start to wear down. And ultimately, you got to spend a lot of money to get it fixed. That's the same thing with our bodies. Your body can be out of alignment. I went to the chiropractor the other day. He stood me up against the wall and looked at me. And he says, Chris, you are all out of alignment. I won't use the words that he used. But I was, my body's misaligned in some areas. I needed to be adjusted. I needed things to be put back into place. Because how many of you know that if you've had some aches and the pains and you, you feel like your body's out of alignment, like other parts of your body start to hurt? You start to compensate for other things. Like if your hip hurts on this side, then your knee might hurt over here because you're starting to walk different because you're trying to compensate for something that's out of alignment. I put this up for you. It's the order of operations. Anybody know what this is? All my math friends in here are excited. They're like, huh, this is order of operations. Order of operations is important, right? These are instructions. These are for, for math problems that we think, right? Math is super important. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's PEMDAS. It's the acronym. And it stands for parentheses. These are rules that you got to do. So when you're solving equations, you got to solve what's in the parentheses first. Exponent, that's the E. You have to solve the exponents next. Then you have to multiply and divide from left to right. And then you have to add and subtract. Why do we have this? Why is there an order of operations to math? So we could get the right answer. So we could get the correct value. So order is important because there's a value that's assigned to you so that we can get what we have to get and we have to do what we have to do. It's important to have order in our lives. And math is important in our everyday life. Cooking, banking, how about medicine? Those of you that don't like math, I'm telling you right now, that it's, you, you still use it. You're like, oh, I'm never going to use math again. Oh, yes, you are. You're going to be counting on your fingers one day. You're going to be balancing your checkbook, whatever you do. Again, like I said, it's used in medicine. It's used in hospitals. It's used in home improvements. When you build houses, there's different angles that you've got to have. You've got to have a solid foundation. You want whoever's building your house to... Be smart in math, that's for sure. How about dieting and weight training? We use math in that so they can calculate, you know, how many calories you need to burn and things of that nature. But math, I put this math problem up here for you. So when you see this sucker right here on Facebook <laughs> pop up, yeah, go ahead and laugh. I know every one of y'all seen one of these things on Facebook, and you're like, I don't know how to do that. Well, you know what you could do? You could tell everybody, well, I learned how to solve this problem in church. And you can say it's super important that we bring church back into the schools because I learned how to do math in church. 
It's important that we have things in order. And like math problems, our lives need to have order to keep us on track. You may have to adjust your schedules, like block scheduling. Our pastors talked about that before. Like you might have so many things. You have to figure out how to block schedule and put things in certain times of the day so that you can meet all of the things that you need to do. Time for relationships. We need to take time for ourselves, our health. We need to take time to read the Bible and to pray. Oh, that might mean you got to get up an hour early to get up and to pray, to put things in order so that your day starts off right. And God is here to help us arrange our schedule. Amen? Who's ready to have their schedule arranged? (laughs) The second kind of order is to give an order. To give an order. That's like a command. An order, it's a, it's a directive given to someone to carry out a specific task or action. It's usually given from somebody in a position of authority, although a lot of people like to just give orders that don't have the authority. They could be verbal or written. It's used to maintain order and discipline. Who likes watching movies? And have you movie fans in here? Have you ever seen A Few Good Men? A Few Good Men? It's one of my favorite movies. You have Jack Nicholson is in here, and he's this hard-charging Marine general or colonel in the movie. And he goes, and he gives an order, and he's talking um, to to the lawyer at the time, and he's telling him, and what he says, he says, we follow orders or people die. Now, that sounds kind of grotesque, right? But if we think about it in war, and that's a sense or most people equate that to, that, you know, we follow orders or people die, and that's true. And it's sad, but, but we have to follow orders because orders is like the instant obedience that you need. Sometimes things happen so fast that you need to understand what you're doing so you can quickly react to what's happening. But that's also just like us in our everyday life. It's a battle. If you think about cigarette packs, smokers, on the, on the label that it says there, it's a, there's a warning. It says if you smoke these, you may get cancer. Why is that sucker on there? Because it's a set of instructions that it's to warn you that you might get cancer if you continue to smoke these things. How about the speed limit signs that are out there that we see? Those are orders, right? Because they could be written, right? Tells you how fast you should go. Many orders and laws are written in blood. Meaning an accident or something catastrophic has happened because someone has failed to adhere to a warning. That's what Paul was doing, right? He was warning them. He was telling them they're used for our safety. I look at Joshua. Such a great example of this, that he would receive an order from God, and then he would give an order to the people. And because that he did that, God's, God's promise came true. So if we look at the crossing of the Jordan, God told him to tell the priest that they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant to take a few steps into the river and stop there. And at the time that this was going on, it was harvest season, and the river, the Bible tells us, was overflowing at its banks. So can you imagine what the people are thinking? They're like, yeah, I'm going to carry this thing. I'm going to go into the water. I'm just going to stop. But that's what, that's what the instructions were. So Joshua tells them to go do that. So what do they do? They go out, and they step to the banks or whatever, and they stop right where they are, and the, and the water split, and they cross the Jordan. We also see this in the city of Jericho. With the walls of Jericho, they came down. They were told to march around the walls once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, they were told to march around seven times with the priests blowing their ram's horns. 
When you hear the priest give one long blast of the ram's horns, have all the people shout and the walls will come down. That's exactly what they did. And the walls came down. Amen. I wonder how the people felt. And the, both of those situations, they're like, <laughs> really, God? Like, you want me to get in this water? Really? We're going to walk around these walls? We're going to shout and they're going to fall down? Yeah, right. How would you feel? I think we get like that sometimes when God asks us to do things that just seem to be too big, that we, our minds just can't comprehend. Many people today have lost hope. We see a lot of people running around in fear. So people wearing a bunch of a double mask and they might be outside. And I'm not making light of the situation, but what I'm saying is there's this hopelessness, I think, that's come over our people. They're desperate, they're fearful. Some are very anxious. Brothers and sisters, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need to hear the good news. We need to hear the commands from the Lord, and we need to be able to take those commands and deliver them to our people. The third kind of order is, is to bring about order. To bring about order or to regulate. Don't go back in your old days and think about songs about regulators or anything. Remember when Paul said, but that isn't what you learned about Christ." But that isn't what you learned about Christ. That's what he was getting at. He was regulating on the people. He was getting after them. Paul was being a peacemaker and not a peacekeeper in this situation. Are you a peacemaker or a peacekeeper? Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. So those of you that chose the latter, you can change your mind because the scripture says so. A peacemaker brings about peace. He's active, not passive, initiates reconciliation, quick to repent, committed to uphold standards. And a peacekeeper, someone likes to keep or maintain peace. They don't necessarily like conflict, and they tend to compromise. You, brothers and sisters, are peacemakers. Paul was a peacemaker. He stood up and said, this is not right. There needs to be some order. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a peacemaker. We need to be peacemakers so we can fight for our children. So when the politicians try to pass laws, install cat boxes in the kids' bathrooms or whatever, you can say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, that's not right. Or when the school is allowed the library to have inappropriate books to let kids see the things they shouldn't be seeing, you can say, no, 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 not on my watch. Or when the government tries to take away your parental rights over your children, you say, over my dead body. You, like Paul, can restore order, discipline, and you can stand up for righteousness. Maybe you're wondering, how can we restore order in our life? I'm about to tell you four ways. Number one, have a coachable attitude. You can restore order in your life by having a coachable attitude. I saw this post the other day. It said, uncoachable kids become unemployable adults. I'm not bashing on the children, but how true is that? I can remember when I was a young child, like, I was horrible in sports 
I didn't want to be coach. I thought I knew everything. Well, today I have a job, so I know that I've changed. <laughs> it's important to be coachable. Psalm 119.34 says, Give me understanding, a teachable heart, and the ability to learn, that I may keep your law and observe it with all my heart. We need to humble ourselves. We need to be able to humble ourselves and have the courage to admit that we are human, that we make mistakes, and we just don't know everything. I would say Peter had a coachable attitude. Remember when Jesus predicted his death? Peter disagreed with him. He said, this is nonsense. You're, you're the Lord. This won't happen to you. And that's when Jesus tells him, like, get behind me, Satan. Like, you're merely thinking and seeing things from a humanistic point of view, not God's point of view. But Peter stayed by his side. He was being coached. Again, Peter disagreed with Jesus when he, when he said that he was going to deny him three times. He's like, nah, I'll never leave you or deny you. Even if you have to die, I will go with you. Well, Peter was wrong again, so, but he stayed by his side. Peter also drew his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's slave in order to protect Jesus. But, Peter, but Jesus tells him to put his sword away. That's not part of God's plan. And we see Peter standing by his side still, coachable attitude. And after Jesus' resurrection, he shows up to Peter, and three times he asks him, do you love me? And it clicks because then Peter finally repents and understands all that Jesus was saying during this time. And Peter goes on, if you read in the book of Acts, he steps up and he preaches to the crowd. He finally gets it. And then the Bible says in that day, like over 3,000 people were saved or baptized. Amen? Peter led the establishment and the expansion of the church. I'd like to say it's all because he had a coachable attitude. And although it took some time, he never gave up on his learning. Amen? Amen? Can you imagine if he quit following Jesus? What if he quit observing and, and staying humble? You know, I was going to throw some sports in here because I'm a sports fan. I like to say that Michael, Jack, Michael Jordan, not, not Michael Jackson. <laughs> he may have liked sports. I don't know. Michael Jordan had a coachable attitude. If you know the story of Michael Jordan, he was cut from his high school basketball team as a sophomore. Talk about defeated, but he didn't quit. He never gave up. He kept improving. He kept working. He went on to college. From there, he went on to the NBA. Guy's got uh, so many records. The best basketball player to ever play the game of basketball. He's got six rings, and the rest is history. How about Tom Brady? You may not be a Tom Brady fan, but Tom Brady, another guy, he was drafted in the sixth round. He was the 199th pick out of 254. Wow. Do the math. That's the back and the latter half. Like, that's like when you're on the playground, you know, you're like, pick me on your team. And like all, everybody's getting picked and you're like still standing there. And you're like, uh, pick me, pick me, pick me. So he gets picked. And what happens? He continues to work. He continues to go on. He gets drafted. His opportunity comes up. The starting quarterback gets hurt. They put him in. Tom Brady has the most records in NFL right now. He's got seven rings. And the rest is history. I like to say that Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, they all had coachable attitudes. So if we want to restore order in our life, we need to maintain a coachable attitude. The second way we restore order in our life is to have the willingness to learn. 
the willingness to learn. And if we go back to verse 21 in Ephesians, Paul says, since you have heard, everybody say heard. Put your hand up to your ear and say heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. We have so many distractions today with social media. There are so many social media platforms I can't even keep up. That's why I don't even have any. I mean, I have Facebook and Instagram, but I don't ever really get on them because I can't keep up with it. There are just so many distractions. And if you look at the news today, man, the news, it's all like bad news. It's like we're all up for these instant updates, like the whole world's in this microwave, like just push the button and everything's going to happen and do itself for you, you know, do for you. You tell your kids to do something and they say, okay, hey, I need you to take out the trash or do your laundry. And they're like, okay, you know, and then a little bit later, they didn't do it. They weren't listening. Maybe when you tell your husband or your wife to do something, like maybe the Christmas decorations, I'm talking about me or pictures, you know, wife asked me, hey, yeah, I got, I got it, I got it, I got it, I'll do it. And then I don't do it. I wasn't listening. There's active listening. You ever heard of active listening? Yeah, it's a practice of preparing to listen. That's like listening on purpose or with intent to be engaged. That means if you need to put down your phone when somebody's talking to you, you should put down your phone so that when someone's talking to you, understand you can hear clearly what they're saying. Or when somebody's talking to you, you need to look into their eyes so that you know what they're communicating to you. And it's like a way of saying, yes, I hear you. I understand what you're saying, and I'm receiving what you're telling me. If we look in 1 Kings 19, 12, it says, And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And if we look at before, the verses before what I just read, they talk about a windstorm that comes. And how many of you have been in a windstorm? I think we had a hurricane, right? Something like that. But if you've been in a true hurricane or some kind of windstorm, it's super loud. It's very loud. Okay? And the Bible said that it, blasted the, it was so loud that it blasted the rocks loose. And then there was an earthquake. And then there was a fire. I wonder, how was Elijah able to hear the gentle whisper through all of that noise? He had a humbled heart. He was in tune with God. He knew, that he knew God had a relationship with him. So all the noise and the distractions are going on didn't even matter. So if you want to change or do something different in your life or you want a different result, I want to encourage you to step back from the noise and be willing to listen because God, but God, God speaks frequently in persistent whispers then in shouts. The third way we can restore order in our life is by the willingness to learn. Willingness to learn. In Proverbs 1.5, it says, The wise will hear and increase their learning, and the person of understanding will acquire wise counsel and the skill to steer his course wisely and lead others to the truth. This goes hand in hand with listening. We should be students of lifelong learning. Amen. I didn't earn my college degree until I was 43. Lifelong learning. Here's a few quotes for you. Anyone who stops learning is old at 20 or 80. Anyone who keeps learning stays young. That was Henry Ford. The more you read, the more things you should know. The more that you learn, the more places you should go. Dr. Seuss. 
Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I may remember. Involve me and I learn. Benjamin Franklin said that. Our culture and society, we're constantly evolving. We need to keep learning. There's investing that's out there. Investments change. We need to understand how to stay ahead of the market because we all want to be prosperous so that we could give to the kingdom and the house. Amen. Amen. There's new technologies that are coming out all the time. There's this AI that's out there that basically does everything for you. I know all of you know what AI is, a chat GBT. Did I say that right? Learning is a part of everyday life. And if we want to restore order, we must be willing to learn. And finally, number four, if you want to restore order, you need to have the willingness to persevere. Perseverance is the ability to push back, push against the things that come against you, to push past your limits, doing something despite its difficulty. You know, when I talk about my wife, she was a single mom for almost 10 years. It was perseverance, her willingness to push past the limitations that were there with three girls and a very low income. But God, but God, I told you that I, it was 43 when I got my degree. That was many of nights that I would come home after work and we'd spend family time together and we'd stay up all night long in the middle of the night doing homework so that I can get a degree. Not because I wanted a piece of paper, but it was something that I wanted to do, I wanted to accomplish. I made a promise to my family, my grandmother, that I would get my college degree one day. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. Of course, Paul is the one that's speaking here, saying that we must have joy and difficulty. He's overcome. He was shipwrecked many a times, jailed, beaten. In our seasons, the trials, the tests that we face, we must be able to overcome, to persevere and push through. We will all experience difficulties, especially if you stand up for God and if you stand up for the truth. But we rejoice not because we like the struggle but because we know God is using life's difficulties to build our character and our resiliency so that we can persevere, so that we can gain a bigger perspective of what hope is. And as you begin to overcome these challenges, they become smaller and smaller. God becomes bigger and bigger. And he gets all the glory. And finally, you will be able to put on your new nature, as what Paul was saying, to put on your new nature, to be created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Amen? In closing, if you want to restore order in your life, you must have a coachable attitude. You must have the willingness to learn. You need the willingness to listen. Who's speaking to you? Whose voice are you listening to? And you need to have the willingness to persevere. Because in those times of difficulties, it's not you that carries you through the finish line. It's God. Amen.